You're listening to audio from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. If you'd like to check out more resources or learn about our ministry, please visit holycrosstucson.com. Our psalm this morning really imagines the worst way to die. That's what this is about. The psalmist is crying out and imagining uh, how the world could end. And because of Hollywood films, we have been able to contemplate as well a hundred different ways that the world can end. Maybe that's the, one of the greatest contributions of Hollywood films is we've been able to learn how all the different ways that you and I can die, right? Nuclear winter, uh, meteor strike, considering Ben Affleck's nowhere around to help us, uh, Ebola virus, rogue missiles, uh, climate change, alien invasions. That's a popular one. A few dozen movies about alien invasions and different ways that we could be destroyed. But my personal favorite is the evolution of artificial intelligence, right? Robots taking over, toaster ovens and vacuum cleaners, uh, ending, ending humankind. Well, this, song is, uh, this psalm is a song of prayer. It's a song of uh, praise, of, of living by faith in the worst of times, in troubled times. This vital message is that in times of great change and even catastrophe and apparent disaster, that God is the shelter of his people from the enemies and he is the strength for them to live in him, in the fullness of joy, no matter what happens, even death itself. And so this psalm walks us through three pairs of information as we learn about this. Three pairings. We learn about two catastrophes, two assurances, and finally two responses to what God has revealed to us. Let's walk through the psalm together by first looking at the two catastrophes that are apparent here. The two catastrophes that come up are destruction and disorder. Consider, consider the main place of fear for you, the main place of a thing that causes you fear in your life, of destruction and disorder and chaos. Maybe it's hard to imagine as an adult, but, but what about as a child? What were you most afraid of as a young boy, a young girl? For me, it was the basement of our home. Uh, for Arizona folks, the basement is actually like a, another house <laughs> underneath the ground. You go down steps and it's like a whole nother level. I was terrified of the basement. Nothing happened in the basement that, that I can recall that, that caused this fear, but the, the light switch in the basement was at the bottom of the steps. So I had to go down in darkness and I had to come up in darkness, which was a lot scarier. And so the lights are on in the basement and I'd flip the lights off and then those 20 steps and four seconds were the most terrifying four seconds of my life. I was convinced someone lived down there and someone was chasing me and waiting for the light to go off and would grab me by the shoulders and pull me down. I never found that person, but I was convinced that they were down there. What was it for you? What was the, most, the scariest, scariest place for you? Well, for the ancient Middle Easterners, it was the sea. The, the, the sea was the place of chaos. Uh, it was a place of ever-changing disorder. It, was, uh, it had the power to undo anything. The, the oceans, the seas, the raging waters uh, were the strongest thing they'd ever known. And it was the most untamed danger that they had ever encountered. We understand this, the, the fear of the raging sea, the rising waters. One of the greatest perceived threats of global warming is what? That if global warming persists, that one day we will find ourselves underwater. Calm down, it's not one of those sermons. 
I mean, we're not going to miss California, right? No. So any. <laughs> that's the fear: is that as as the the ice caps melt, then the rising sea level will destroy us and destroy uh, millions. In other words, water has the power to disrupt and destroy our very lives. And the people of old knew this. Hear the description in the psalm. When the earth gives way and the mountains be moved into the sea, though the waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble. And so the, the, the sea is raging and causing chaos and fear. But this is not, the waters are not the only thing raging and foaming with chaos. With, with chaos. The, the nations are raging. The nations are raging as well. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. They're foaming. They are in chaos. They are in disorder. And the psalmist is not speaking directly, specifically of rising sea levels that are our greatest danger, nor, are, uh, nor is the psalmist uh, speaking directly to the nations in chaos. He's speaking of anything that causes fear, anything that causes disorder, anything that causes catastrophe in our life. This psalm confronts the things that cause us fear. The psalm confronts the things that we often trust in. The things that we thought were most firm in our life. The things we thought were trustworthy. The things that we thought were steady, like mountains and kingdoms and nations. The psalmist says, even those things are destroyed and can be wiped away. What do we do when the things in our life that we hold most dear vanish? Your marriage, your family, your job, your stock portfolio, your life savings, your sanity, your health. What do we do? This psalm confronts the things that we thought, well, this is healthy, this is firm, this is going to be okay. What happens when they can be swept away by the waters of life? None of us are immune to the rising waters. This is one of the things that we know we cannot control. There is no man-made or human-made contraption or remedy to the rising sea levels. We cannot fix. We cannot fix it when it wants to happen. And so what is it for you that causes fear? What is it for you that causes disorder and catastrophe and disruption? What is it for you that causes chaos in your life? It's the waters that foam. It's the roar and tremble. It's the things that cause disorder. The things that we are afraid of that destroy our comfort, our well-being. It's the things that we thought were stable and firm in our life that we could count on that we're afraid that they might not be trustworthy anymore. What are those things for you? Those things cause fear in our life. They're the very things that threaten our peace and our joy. They threatened to take away the things that we thought were okay. What will we do if those things are wiped away? You see, the things that cause fear are the things that, that cause us to say, what if, when we put our heads down at night on the pillow? What if? What if tomorrow's worse than today? What if things don't get better? What if the tests, the lab tests come back bad? What if I never feel loved and respected? What if this job is as good as it gets? I ask that all every day. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> what if my child gets injured? It doesn't become the college athlete to make me look like a great parent. 
what if the insurance doesn't cover it? What is your what if? The what ifs of our life that we wonder, this is what causes me fear. And I don't like to think about those things, but when I'm, when, when, when the, I'm at night and my head goes on the pillow and I can't think but, about anything but the things that cause me to, to ask, what if? You see, here's the great catastrophe that we face. Anxiously hoping to find stability in our lives through people, situations, accomplishments, reputations, or possessions is completely natural, but it's completely futile. This is the great catastrophe that you and I face, that it is so natural for us, it's so instinctive for our hearts to find our stability, to find our sure and firm footing and comfort for our life on the things that are horizontal in our life, the people and accomplishments and things that we set up. It is so natural, and yet we are told it is so futile. That can be wiped away in a moment. But just because we know it's futile, just because the Bible tells us, and even because of history and experience has shown us that we can't put our trust in these things, it doesn't stop us from trying, does it? I know my hope is not in these things. Of course, my reputation, my identity is not in my reputation, my accomplishments, my finances, my wealth. But I'm going to sure try, just in case, to make sure these things are firm and stable in my life. And so we numb ourselves with busyness. We numb ourselves and distract ourselves with material things, with media, with food from empty flattery and praise from others. And so we look horizontally for peace, even when the Bible tells us that all of those things will be brought to disorder and destruction. And we still pursue, we still, we still cling. Don't you know that discouragement is natural? That depression and anxiety and despair are all natural responses to the crumbling confidences of this world? Spoken with so many of you, I, 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 know, I, I know the pain that you feel. I know the pain that I feel in my own heart. And don't you know that when we realize that the things we trusted in in this world are proven to be insufficient to give us real happiness, when those things crumble and we feel sad and lonely and despair, that's a very normal response to realizing that the world around us is crumbling. Nothing is as good as identifying our, where we place our misplaced hope than when we trust in horizontal things and they crumble around us. No thing is as good as identifying where our hope is placed that when those things are taken away and we realize we should have been trusting in a vertical God when we've been trusting in horizontal things around us. And so the psalmist imagines... What if everything crumbles? What if everything is wiped away? What if my greatest fears really come true? And these two catastrophes of destruction and despair are led into two assurances that he gives to us. The two assurances that he gives to God's people are that, we, that God is our shelter and our help. He is our shelter and our help in times of trouble. Not armies, not stock portfolios and finances, not charm or good looks, but God himself is the one to whom we run to find shelter 
You see, we, we, he tells us that God is our fortress. Notice how the psalmist doesn't say that God will provide a fortress for you. When we feel despair, when we feel discouraged, when the world around us is crumbling or even despairing and in chaos, we pray and ask that God would give us something to make it better. Provide a shelter for me. But God does not provide a shelter for us because he knows that every shelter will be broken down by the storms of life. And so he says, I am your shelter. God is our fortress. Any gift that God provides, any fortress, any place of comfort, any person that he gives to us, every relationship is insufficient. It will let us down. He or she will let us down. They will crumble. He is our fortress. He is our hiding place. He is our refuge to which we run when we're troubled. It is so natural to, in our life, to envy the life of someone else, to look at others and say, they seem to be on stable footing. They seem to have things together. They seem to not be in chaos like me. I want what they have. I want the life that they have. I want the, the marriage that they have. I want the friendships that they have. It is natural to wish that we were more in control of our circumstances to kind of manage our life better and to get it together, to hold our lives together. It is natural to, be, fear, to feel discouraged and fearful when things fall apart. It is natural to feel in despair when our what-ifs turn into what now. Now what do I do? What now, God? My greatest fears are happening before me, and it's happening before David. And the psalmist is begging us to see that, that nothing is truly solid, nothing is truly trustworthy, nothing is truly lasting and faithful like God. No matter how overwhelming our circumstances, no matter what happens, and no matter what in our life is shaken and fractured, if God is with us, even the worst thing that can, can happen to us will only make us infinitely more secure no matter what. God cannot be bombed. God cannot be ruined. God cannot be thwarted or defeated. When he is our hiding place, when he is our fortress and our refuge and our place of comfort, we truly are secure and safe. This idea that God is our shelter goes hand in hand with God being our helper. He is there to comfort and to help and to strengthen us. God is our help, but notice that he's not just our help, but he is our very present help. Let's break it down, very present help. What these words are telling to us is that he is very, he's exceedingly, abundantly, exhaustively. He is present with us, literally that he is sufficient. He is enough. He is everything that we need. And help, the great ancient Hebrew word of help, literally means help. That's what it means. Sorry, I didn't have anything for that. He is our helper. God is our, now let's put it together, God is our exceedingly sufficient, good enough help. It is unnecessary to say it this way. It's unnecessary to use these words to just be redundant in what it's saying. To say that God is our exceedingly sufficient helper is like calling someone a pregnant woman. Now, if you fail to see the irony in this, I remind you that only women can get pregnant. Furthermore, 
To call somebody a very pregnant woman is doubly ridiculous, for not only can only a woman get pregnant, but you are either pregnant or not. (laughs) There's no degree of pregnancy. I know every woman here has been pregnant saying, I beg to differ. Some of you feel very pregnant. (laughs) You could just say pregnant, and it covers all words. Uh, So why why not just call God helper? I think you know why. Because he's not just our helper. He's our exceedingly sufficient helper. And it carries more meaning in our language. It carries more impact in our heart when we speak in these redundancies. He's not just our helper. He's our exceedingly sufficient helper. God never withdraws himself from his afflicted, ever. He is more present and more close than trouble itself. If you feel that chaos and disorder and destruction is close, God is closer. He's our help, truly and constantly. He is near the afflicted, he's close at their side, and he is ready to protect and comfort them. You see, we're given two pictures of water in this psalm. The first picture of water is the raging sea. The raging sea that causes fear, that causes disorder and destruction. And then we see a river of life that flows through a city who comforts and sustains its inhabitants. Verse 4, there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God. God is in the midst of her. God will help her. You see, it wasn't that God's ancient people were afraid of water. They were afraid of the kind of water that destroyed. They were afraid of the kind of waters that came into their life, that turned their life upside down and into chaos. But there was a kind of water that came into their life that brought peace, that brought life, that they journeyed to find, to draw water from, taking it back to their lives to give them peace, rest, and life. There was a river that flowed through Jerusalem, which brought joy and comfort and life to all. And the picture of the new kingdom and new earth, when Jesus comes back to to restore his shalom and peace to all of creation, pictures this river flowing through the city of God. And these words are not meant to be understood in uh, in a literal sense, but in a figurative sense, in the, to bring comfort and assurance to all who find themselves in the midst of destruction and disorder and chaos in their life. For all who find themselves contemplating the what-ifs and the what-nows and feel their life unsettled and feel, fear, see the waters of the sea raging and tempting and unsettling their heart and their minds, these words are given to comfort us that there's also water that flows, water that we should journey to find, water that we should go and draw from, water that we should drink and be satisfied with, water that gives life. And do you know, even from ancient of days and long ago in the Old Testament, don't you know that God's promised Savior, Jesus, would be described in many ways, and he'd be described in this way. He would be described as our refuge and strength. That he would be described as the God who was present with us to never leave us. That he would be described as living water. 
The promise of the presence of God and the promise of the presence of God to his people is fulfilled in the coming of Jesus, his righteous life, his sacrificial death, and his victorious resurrection. When Jesus was born, the angel said, Emmanuel, call him Emmanuel, God is with you. The promise that God would be near you and with you and dwell among you is, is being fulfilled in Jesus. When he calmed the seas, uh, the stormy seas with his disciples, the disciples asked one another, who is this that even the wind and the sea obey his words? You see, the disciples knew, as I mentioned, there's nothing scarier, there's nothing stronger. There is nothing more untamed and powerful than the raging sea. We cannot control it. Who is this that calls out and commands them to cease and they listen? When people of Jerusalem gathered for the Feast of Booths, which was this celebration a bountiful harvest and providence of God and provision from God. They ate and they drank to their heart's content. And Jesus, in the midst of this festival, stood up and he says, If any of you are thirsty, I will give you living water. And if you believe in me, out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. When he rose from the grave, he said, I'm sending you a helper to be with you so that you will know you are never alone. No matter what happens, no matter what afflictions come your way, I'm sending you the Spirit and I will be with you and I will never forsake you and I will be with you to the end of the age. All the promises of God to God's people forever have found their reality and fulfillment in Jesus. The psalm inspires us to, to, to realize what makes us afraid. The psalm inspires us to realize what danger we face and our worst case scenario and all the things that bring chaos in our life. The psalm inspires us to wonder, are we going to be okay even if destruction happens and despair happens and the nations rage and kingdoms fall? We are meant to see Jesus the psalm inspired the great Christian hymn of Martin Luther uh, that we sang earlier today, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Luther saw in this hymn, uh, uh, he saw his hymn as a paraphrase of Psalm 46. Behind all the greatest fears and all the chaos of our life and all the what ifs and what now stood our great enemy, Satan himself. But the song calls us not to fear but to be at peace because of what Jesus has done. Listen to the words again of the song we sang. We will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. Luther is talking about the word of Christ, the word of Christ that we have confidence in. One word of Christ defeats the power of sin and Satan himself. Did we in our strength confide our striving would be losing? We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Dost ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord of hosts, his name from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. Luther was rightly attributing Psalm 46 
to Christ and a song of Christ himself. He was rightly saying that this is Christ's psalm and the promises in this psalm were Christ's promises to you and to me. That as we look at the sea and we look at the fears of our life and all that rages on from the worst of a destruction to the small things that cause us despair, that Christ is singing to us and he is telling us that he is the one that calms the seas He is the one that stills our fears. He is the one who is with us forever. And he gives us assurance that he will never leave us. How do we respond when we come face to face with our fears and face to face with the promises of God? Let me give you finally two ways to respond. To be still and to know that he is God. God calls you and I to believe and to respond to who he is, to what he has done, so that we could be crafted into the people that really do live by faith and not by sight. He gives us uh, his grace to respond in this way so you and I can live by faith when we see the storm rage and not by sight. You know what that looks like. We see the storm, we feel afraid, and then we adjust our life to avoid the discomfort and chaos of that storm. That Jesus welcomes us. He does not provide a ceasing from the storm right away, but what does he do? He provides a lighthouse in the midst of the storm. He provides himself. He provides shelter, and we go into him and have protection in his care in the midst of the storm. And we need to remember that in order to remember and believe and to be still and know, we must quiet our mouths and quiet our minds. We must think carefully about God and who he is and who he's revealed himself to be, what he has done for us. He says, be still and know that I am God. I'll be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. When we have really come to know Jesus, when we come to rest, that the outcome of our lives and the fullness of our joy belong not to our ability to control our circumstances but belong to Jesus being exalted, then we will not fear. Think deeply on that. Be still and know that I am God. Well, how? Why? Give me some more. Give me some evidence. I will be exalted. In the earth, I will be exalted among the nations. I will will stand and, and, and give orders and the waves will listen. I will bring comfort and no one will thwart my plans. Hide yourself in me. You see, so God gives us grace to believe that, to grace to believe that he is good, that he exists, that he cares, that he gives us strength to endure the storms in the protection that he provides. You see, faith really is a gift from God. He grants us the grace to believe this to be still and to know that he's God and to be at peace because he is God and we're not. This really may come to a surprise to you to hear this, that, that this is even a gift. The gift to even be still and to know that he is God is a gift. But faith in God in the midst of trouble is the most humanly counterintuitive function for a sin-damaged sin being. 
What's more natural when we see chaos and destruction and despair happen in our life? What, what's natural when we see the confidences that we place in natural horizontal things, when we see them crumble? You know what's natural? Fear, despair, discouragement, disappointment, confusion, panic, anxiety, depression. I am surprised that any of you got out of bed this morning to come. The most natural function for a sin-broken and damaged person is to say, I can't do this. The most counterintuitive thing to say is, you are God, and I will trust in you. But God gives us the ability to do that. He gives us the ability to believe. But he doesn't stop there with just the grace to believe. He works in our situations. He works in our relationships. He hammers us, molds us, forms us into the people that build our lives on the radical belief that God exists, that he really does care for us, that he really does accept us, not based on our record, but on the record and righteousness of Jesus Christ on our behalf. And he will really undo every bad thing that has been done. And he really will give us peace. That is a radical belief that even as the storms rage on and destroy and the mountains themselves fall into the sea, we're going to be okay. That's a radical belief. But he will, he will really do it. He will be exalted. So be still. Be still. Practice the solitude of sitting before God, quieting your mind and your mouth and the what ifs and the what nows. He desires to rescue you from thinking that you can live your life as you're meant to live your life while relying on your own wisdom and character. He wants to free you from that. He wants to rescue you and free you from your thinking that it all depends on you. Be still and know that he is God. He is your ultimate comforter. He is your ultimate helper. He is your ultimate refuge in times of trouble. And he is your ultimate, never failing, exceedingly sufficient friend. He's with you now. Be still and know that he is God. Let's pray.